Hey, it's Dan Harmon from Harmontown. I want to tell you about an exciting new podcast coming to Feral Audio called Launch Left. Rain, Phoenix, and Moon Zappa are going to interview extraordinary minds, mavericks, and pioneers in their fields. This season, Launch Left is going to celebrate nonconformists like Michael Stipe, Shepard Ferry, Spike Jones, Mario Batali, and many others. And those guests are also going to spotlight their favorite left-of-center emerging artists. So listen and subscribe now at feralaudio.com slash left, iTunes, or wherever you listen to podcasts. You can do it however you want, man. That's the nonconformist part. Guys, I want to tell you about a great sponsor I have, Bompus. They're premium high-performance athletic socks, and they're so comfortable you're never going to want to take them off. And because socks are the number one requested item in homeless shelters, for every pair of socks purchased, Bompus donates one pair of those to those in need. Almost one million pairs donated to date. 15% off the first purchase of four or more socks. Plus free shipping. So go to getbompus.com slash feral and buy some comfortable socks. Hello and welcome to Conversations with Matt Dwyer. Very excited to have you here. Thank you very much for jumping aboard my conversation ship and riding through the seas of chatter and talks and giggles. Uh, if you haven't listened to my show before, it is just what the uh, title implies there. It is a conversation with me, Matt Dwyer. And it's a kind of a more free-formed, loosey-goosey thing than a formal question-and-answer type thing. And uh, today, I have, uh, I'm really proud to have this guest. He's almost... Very difficult to label. Uh, he's a legendary publisher. Uh, he created the magazine The Realist, which is um, one of the most influential papers of all time. It was uh, one of the first underground magazines. Paul Krasner also worked with uh, Abby Hoffman. He was an abortion activist. He is a comedian, a writer, an author. The list goes on and on. He's a fascinating fucking guy and we're going to get into that conversation real briefly or real soon uh, i just want to point out something that uh, happened recently the i'm not sure if you're aware of the ndaa act as one of those post 9-11 acts where they're like we gotta do this because we're all we're all in trouble if we don't and uh recently well a couple of years ago to be more specific chris hedges noam chomsky daniel ellsberg a few other notables sued or brought up a lawsuit against the federal government, most specifically the Obama administration for some some of the uh, measures or whatever you would call it in this act. Uh, and there's some very loosey-goosey wording in that it's uh, it is an attack on, I would say, or a uh, a weakening of civil liberties, and it is a sort of a movement of a lot of the power to the military to say determine who exactly is a journalist, uh, who sides with, say, terrorists or subversive uh, activist groups, and they could be labeled as terrorists or uh, aiding terrorism. You know, if it's like, say, a journalist, say, like Julian Assange can be considered, like they could say he's not a journalist and he's, he's aiding, uh, you know, the weakening of America. So we got to put him in jail without due process, without a formal trial. Uh, and that's a lot of what this act is. It's it's you could be thrown in a military prison and given a military trial, which there is no records of. It's there is no, you know, it's a very it's a big it's a big affront. You know, it's maybe I could be for some of the weird jokes I've made on this show. Jokes. Let me just say they're jokes in case the FBI, because <laughs> I do. I make a lot of jokes, and it's like, but who? Who could, someone could determine it as me being truthful or whatever. Um, and I'm a real pussy. You know, I'm not a, you know, I'm not a, I'm not a fighter. I'm a lover, FBI. If you're listening, FBI, I'm a lover. So, you know, we could, if you want to wiretap me, uh, we could talk dirty. I'll talk dirty to you through the wiretaps. Maybe I'll put on a nice pair of uh, frilly underwear and I'll talk to you, FBI, over my phone tap. Would you like that, FBI? But... I just want to say, like, please inform yourself on the on, on FISA and the NDAA Act. You can go to Truth Dig, which is a great website. Uh, there's a panel 
with Chris Hedges and a bunch of other people, Daniel Ellsberg, and they talk about in great detail about this act. And there's lawyers on this panel. Uh, please go to Truth Dig. Also go to stopndaa.org and uh, check that out. Abby Martin, who did last week's episode of Conversations with Matt Dwyer, dedicated an entire half hour of breaking the set to this NDAA act, and she interviews Chris Hedges and uh, uh, Tom, Tom, Thomas Drake, who is a whistleblower. hope I didn't get his first name wrong. Pretty sure it's Thomas Drake. Uh, and, um, you know, this is a very crucial point, and I think in our government, we need to really, or, or our future of America, and I think we really need to keep up and inform ourselves, even if you I can't articulate it as well as, say, Chris Hedges. He's a genius. But uh, I think it's really important that uh, you uh, jump out there, find out about this shit, and uh, inform yourselves so you know what road our America is going down. Just because there's a lovable president in the, the eyes of many in office doesn't mean he is acting on our behalf because he's not. That is a big, big mis mistake we're making there, thinking he's... Johnny liberal because his actions have not been liberal at all. That's just flabber blabbering from uh, the flabby Republican talk show guys. You know who I'm talking about, flabby Republican talk show hosts. Uh, okay, enough of that. Please check out those websites. And while you're at it, check out Paul Krasner with two S's.com. Um, and then listen to this fucking fascinating conversation I have with legend Paul Krasner. Uh, you you are you are definitely a hard man to categorize. You were uh, you are a, a comedian, a satirist, a publisher, an author. Uh, you were a abortion advocate and uh, helping women uh, with abortions when that was a, a very uh, dangerous sort of thing to be participating in back in the day. <laughs> I mean, you you risked going to prison helping women, right? Uh, yeah, I got called before two district attorneys, but, uh, uh, you know, what, they, they were both bluffing. Uh, uh, you're running now, right? Yes, sir. Okay. Um, um, I, I got called before two district attorneys. Uh, one was uh, upstate New York, uh, and uh, they said uh, that the cops were going to come for me at 2 p.m., uh, and uh, uh, so I better cooperate with them and testify before the grand jury. He said, we, we interviewed the doctor, and he, we have it on tape about your involvement. So I said, I'm going to call my lawyer. I went outside, and uh, it, I didn't call a lawyer. I called the doctor who lived there and told him what they said. And he said, no, they're just bluffing. They never interviewed me. <laughs> that's, that's pretty awesome. Well, it's standard operating procedure for prosecutors and district attorneys, and so I went. He, and so I went back, and he said, "Well, what'd your lawyer say?" And I said, "Oh, he told me to continue uh, 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 not not cooperating with you." And then the other one was in uh, uh, Manhattan when uh, the prosecutor, the DA, uh, who was, uh, later became a judge. Uh, said that uh, he wanted uh, me to testify in the grand jury and uh, and that they have all the records of the money I got from the doctors and therefore they uh, but they would grant me immunity if I if I cooperated with them and I said that's not true I, he took his hand up for me to shake I refused to uh, I said because I knew that I never accepted a penny from any of the doctors and in fact uh, if they offered something, I said no. But uh, I wanted them to take uh, to take off the money they would have given me from uh, the patients that came to him that were referred by me, and um, and then uh, you know because and and of course if I had ever taken any money, I wouldn't know that he was bluffing. So um, you know that's the name of the game with prosecutors: they bluff, they lie, they cajole, they threaten, and. Um, and then, then my attorney, uh, who later became the president of the uh, National Association of uh, Criminal Lawyers, I think that's what it was. A lot of lawyers are criminal. Uh, and um, he he said that they couldn't 
uh, forced me to testify because, because the abortion uh, uh, it was it was unconstitutional, and I, I and it was my First Amendment right to uh, pass along information. So um, and um, and that resulted in New York State being uh, uh, where the law was declared anti-abortion law was declared unconstitutional and um, and then later women's group had joined that lawsuit and uh, it ultimately led to Roe versus Wade which now uh, I'm certainly glad that uh, Romney didn't uh, win because he probably uh, would have tried to uh, he promised on on day one with a hundred things he was going to do on day one uh, that was going to be one of them to uh, start the motion to uh, uh, repeal the uh, the uh, Roe versus Wade decision. Do you, do you think they could get away with that these days? I mean, I know people seem a little hesitant to protest as much as they used to, but it seems like if that was turned over, people would go out into the streets. Oh, absolutely. Uh, but what's happening is that there are uh, many states who have done and, and cities who have uh, done it locally. I think Mississippi is going to become the first state where there are no clinics for a woman who is pregnant and doesn't want to be to go to. You know, they can always go to another state, but it's just it's just inhumane. Yeah, it's it's amazing how how they are. They just doesn't it drive you? Does it drive you nuts after like all the work that you did? That forty something years later, that we're still that this is still such a heated topic in our in our politics. Oh uh, well, you know, uh, uh, it doesn't drive me nuts. Does, you know, uh, I think that uh, the, the conversation nationally has opened up, and and a majority of people are for reproductive rights. Uh, but, you know, I mean, the Civil War isn't over, <laughs> let alone uh, abortion rights. <laughs> what, a, what a great observation. I know it's – then they make uh, – in the South, there's some, certain states have uh, General Lee days on the same day as Martin Luther King's day, which is just like you weren't even, you weren't even alive for the Civil War. What are you still all pissed off about? Well, just in terms of you know all the all the the uh, racism uh, that has uh, uh, affected uh, the people who who hate Obama so much, uh, you know they tried every possible way of insulting him and relating it to the fact that he's an African American, and it's uh, you know it's just uh, really cruel. Uh, attitudes towards him. I think the latest one floating around is that his father wasn't really his father, um, that it was somebody else. You, you know, they have never done this with any uh, white president or all white presidents. Same thing. Yeah, so, it, uh, it, I would almost have more respect for them if they just came out and just said it. It's like, I know what you guys are, you're trying what you're saying and trying to make us think. Why don't you just come out and say it and it would be, a, at least you would not be hiding so much right well they used a lot of they used a lot of uh, code words you know they did everything but call him rastus yeah and we can thank lee atwater for a lot of that uh, couched racism back in when he kicked off the phrase uh, what was it uh, welfare welfare queens which was which was his way of uh, saying the n-word without saying it for uh, for old reagan there there were a lot, a lot of uh, uh, intimations like that, uh, and uh, you know that that he was really born in Kenya. Uh, everything they could do to to, to bring him down, they, and that was where they were honestly outspoken when they said our, after the first election that their job, the Republicans' job, was to get him out of office, and 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 then now they in the campaign they criticized him for not doing things which the Republicans uh, were responsible for not compromising. So it, uh, it was, I, you know, I watched the campaigns for entertainment rather than political, but, uh, you know, when you think back of it, between Herman Cain and uh, uh, Rick Perry and Michelle Bachman and, uh, uh, what's his name, uh, the one who looks like... Uh, Mr. Puffin, um, 
um, but there was, you, you know, uh, all, all of them were like a like clowns coming out of a Volkswagen, and and so it wasn't that Mitt Romney was the best; it was he was uh, the least crazy. <laughs> it was. I just saw some clip of Herman Cain uh, the other day talking about like if you're not rich, it's your fault, and it's like oh yeah, yeah. You know, that's because he figures he deserved to be rich so that uh, he looks then, then other people deserve to be poor. You know, they have to justify their own existence in order to, 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 to be that uh, uh, snobbish and superior. Was it like, I mean, because you were obviously very politically active in the 60s and the 70s. And it's like, has it always been this batshit crazy? Or does it, it just seem a little bit more batshit crazy these days because there's so much more press? Uh, well, yeah, I think the Internet made a big difference uh, because the crazies had, uh, you know, they used to say um, that we have a free press if, uh, if, you, if you have a press. Um, but the Internet has served that purpose for uh, evil and good in terms of uh, communicating and organizing. And, uh, and so a lot of the hatred was there, but um, uh, hiding under the rocks and with the, um, all of the uh, uh, innumerable websites, uh, people can say whatever they want. And, uh, you know, in my publication, uh, The Realist, um, my goal was, in a sense, to put myself out of business, uh, um, you know, in the sense of just of serving as an example, you know, that I could publish what I did and not get struck by lightning. And, uh, and that's what people can do now on the Internet. They can say whatever they want. And, uh, you know, they'll, they might get in trouble for libel or for uh, actual threats. But um, in, in terms of, of concepts, and language, even um, um, the World Wide Web is a, uh, a, a liberation of communication. Yeah, it's it's when you because you mentioned the realists, and I before uh, we talked, I I've been revisiting your uh, your autobiography, uh, Confessions of a Raving Unconfined Nut, uh, which is and I, I I I hadn't read it in about. I think since it came out, because I have it in hardcover, but I was, I forgot how influential The Realist was on so many levels. Like I kind of feel like, and I know in the book you talk about how Lenny Bruce was an influence on you, but The Realist also influenced him to go further, and I feel like if it wasn't for your publication, we probably wouldn't have had, a, a, I don't think that like the tone of Saturday Night Live's original comedy would have would have been there without you is that am i well, off? no i i uh, you know I, I i think those uh kind of programming might have happened already just as part of the evolution of satire but uh what was gratifying to me was that not only was lenny influenced by what i published but also george carlin and lewis black uh, and so and what what i like about that is that they have been an influence on so many others uh, who don't even know my work. But uh, so I was just happy to be able to have uh, been my, that my work was appreciated by people who influenced others. So there's a continuing pattern, uh, you know, with or without me. Yeah, do you feel because I feel like I was very drawn to that comedy of the 60s and 70s and it's. I feel like no one goes that far anymore. Do you do you feel like we've become too safe or too overly sensitive? Because I feel there's very few people who go that way. And if and now it's like almost if you were, it's wrong to be angry on as a comedian, and it's wrong. People turn off when you socially criticize. It seems at least from my experience in audiences in in L.A. Do you do you think? comedy has sort of been in kind of a soft stage for the last I feel like a while well you know there are um, like books and movies and TV uh, I think it was Mel Brooks who said that 95 of everything is crap and so uh, that top 5% uh, is there so there are outstanding comedians 
um, who are courageous in what they do, like Bill Maher, for example, um, and and, or, and Louis Black, who uh, who's not angry in person, but he plays an angry comic comic on TV. And um, now I think that um, um, on the other hand, there's a lot of comics who um, don't know that Lenny Bruce. Um, uh, actually got arrested for uh actually it was for blasphemy and and uh making fun of certain politicians as well as religious figures and um but he got arrested you know there was no law uh, uh against blasphemy so they busted him on uh for obscenity uh, even that was a, he wasn't violating the law because the supreme court said that as long as there was um redeeming social value uh, and which Lenny certainly had but um you know they but Le- but Lenny used language that was had been taboo and now I think he would be embarrassed by seeing how the word fuck has become a, a, an all-purpose noun adjective adverb um epithet and and it it you know you want to st- I I get this feeling like I'm an old English teacher and want to say don't you have a bigger vocabulary? <laughs> it's 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 also it's heartbreaking to me that I think a lot of the younger generation misinterprets Lenny Bruce and a lot of people. I think they they focus sadly a lot on like his trial stuff and that era of his comedy, and a lot of people just are like oh he's he was crazy or he just would rant and rave and it's. Well, that's you know he, uh, I mean he did bits about um, the low te- the low salary of teachers as compared to people in show business uh, who got way more than they deserved. He talked about nuclear testing. He talked about uh, abortion rights. He talked about the hypocrisy of the drug war. I mean he was way of, ahead of uh, his time, breaking those taboos on stage and um, on on ideas and concepts that uh, have now uh, uh, in dialogue among the mainstream press and uh, and, uh, people have changed their minds about things because uh, they've broken through the brainwashing of mainstream culture and uh, that's what happened in the 60s you know out of the counterculture exploded out of the banality and repression of the Eisenhower-Nixon years. And I feel the same thing is happening uh, uh, again around the globe, an evolutionary jump in consciousness. Um, and, and, you know, Arab Spring all, all, uh, and all the follow-ups to that and the Occupy Wall Street in this country uh, are, are um, symptoms of that uh, breaking through uh, brainwashing that uh, has started at, at birth, really. You know, all even before language, you can interpret uh, what the taboos are. Yeah, it's. It, uh, I wanted to ask you about the Occupy movement because that that or what your take was on it because I've. Uh, it's been a constant theme in in my show, and so many people have different views on it, and. Uh, it does seem like that that to me that the beginning of Occupy was there's been a bubbling under the surface and I feel like we're about to enter into a very tumultuous time and a very critical time sort of in possibly as big of a turning point as the 60s would do you agree or or disagree with that at all Oh I I I agree I think that you know I I had been wavering between uh optimism and despair uh, and then when the Occupy movement came on the scene, uh, I leaned more, my, my compass leaned more to uh, a sense of hope. Uh, and they used their imagination, and, uh, uh, I, you know, the, 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 pub, the press didn't want to, uh, didn't start really giving them any attention until the police came in and used the pepper spray, and then suddenly, okay, a little violence, we can publish it now. <laughs> Yeah, it's... you know, the local the, the TV shows, uh, um, especially local ones, uh, but also um, the um, the networks and uh, the cable news shows. Uh, the the slogan was um, 
if 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 that if it bleeds, it leads. Meaning that uh, if there was some kind of violence, that it would uh, be the opening uh, headlines of of the uh, news uh, channels. Yeah, it's it's infuriating to me that uh, like the Westboro Memphis, uh, uh, the Baptist Church gets so much press, and it's. I recently discovered that that's a 40-member church group, and it's like, I feel like I can't help but think that they're a media-created issue, because if you didn't give 40 people attention, I feel like they would just go away, but they keep stoking that fire. And, like, the Occupy people are doing some real revolutionary thing, like their debt jubilee, and that gets no press at all except for, like, various alternative Internet media. Uh, well, no, it it gets around, and and besides that, that uh, their younger people are depending on uh, the internet media for their news more than uh, newspapers and magazines uh, that you actually hold up in your hands and and touch. Uh, Newsweek uh, has just gone out of business; they'll still be online, but um, it's a diff to be. This whole generation is being wired differently, uh, and. Uh, take for granted for electronic devices that I'm still in awe of and think of it as electronic magic. <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm still perplexed by my toaster half the time. So. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, and yeah, you were commenting on that you saw continuity, continuity between what the Yippies were doing and what the Occupy movement and... I was I was curious if there was any way you could expand on that because the yippies were very theatrical and there was a, definitely a humor to the way they protested, which I I really thought was pretty incredible. Yeah, well, you mentioned my autobiography. Uh, how to talk? Not no, that's Lenny's. Uh, uh, Confessions of a Raving Unconfined Nut: Misadventures in the Counterculture, and you have the very first edition. Uh, but uh, recently, uh, I and. I, Updated and expanded uh, edition was published, uh, which is available on my website, which is paulkrasner.com. And uh, there's an extra new chapter in it called um, Bloopers and Outtakes, the parts left out of this book. And there's a little section in that chapter uh, comparing and contrast, contrasting uh, the Yippies and the Occupy movement. Uh, the difference was that... Um, then, you know, we had no advertising budget and had to pull stunts, uh, like dropping money in the stock exchange or uh, Abby Hoffman invented a fake um, drug called lace, which was really a takeoff on the cops' uh, uh, lace, uh, I mean, uh, mace, rather. And um, lace was a supposedly a mixture of um, LSD and... Um, what was it that, that there was some kind of thing that was, was absorbed it MBA? by? The, n no, it was. Uh, if you if you um, uh, it was it absorbed something into the into the skin, and uh, and then, and so the the idea was that uh, it was an aphrodisiac, and so uh, uh, we held a press conference where the reporters came and saw there were a few mattresses on the floor of Abby and Anita Hoffman's living room, and uh, they sprayed with a water gun, uh, a few of them, and they started disrobing and making love there while the reporters took notes. And, uh, you know, but what they were really spraying was a novelty item from uh, Thailand or somewhere, uh, Shapiro's Disappiro. Uh, you know, it would look like purple if you sprayed it on your skin and then it would disappear. And the purpose of, of each of these things, you know, throwing money in Wall Street, um, they had called a press conference, and so um, when uh, we went outside, there, uh, there were reporters, and then we could talk to them about the relationship between Wall Street and uh, the war in Vietnam at that point. And so that, that was a, a, a comparison with uh, the Occupy Wall Street movement. Um, and even with the uh, demonstration of that the fake uh, spray lace, uh, it was a way of uh, uh, we made the point to the reporters that we were going to bring lots of lace to uh, uh, the 
uh, the demonstration at the Pentagon. And uh, so a lot of people who saw that story, which went in the Ma Time magazine and the wire services like Associated Press and local papers, uh, New York Post, and, and um, so that even people who weren't so much against the war would come just to see uh, the uh, National Guard and the Washington police sprayed with lace, uh, uh, hoping that, you know, it was uh, hoping that um, Make Love Not War would become actual an actual event. That's, uh, that's, I, I, that's just, I, that's so great. It's, uh, yeah, and I think a lot of people forget uh, a lot of these things were done with humor, because I think there's people out there that's, believe still believe that when you were trying to make the pentagon hover which uh you you also talk about in your autobiography i think some people think that these like these crazy hippies thought they could do it and you were just doing it to get attention uh well you know it was yeah it was and, and uh and the people at the pentagon were um you know at, uh, when we tried to get a, a permit to do that um uh, and they said, well, yes, but, you know, you can only, uh, you can't raise the Pentagon more than, I think it was like 20 feet, because that was how big their ladders were, so they could pull it down again. So they went along with the gag, and then we went outside and, and, uh, and talked to the press, and we could say what, what went on in there, and so they could quote it, and uh, what we said so that we it was mutual manipulation you know we gave them good copy and they gave us good free publicity so uh, it was so we were in effect we were uh, manipulating the media uh, but it was mutual ma uh, manipulation uh, and uh, but and now you know the whole the internet has changed the nature of uh, protest uh, you know we used to have to have a mimeograph machine. People don't even know what that is these days, but you get ink all over you and then have to uh, put them in envelopes, fold them up, uh, put stamps on and mail them. And um, online, you can just send a whole bunch to a whole bunch of people at the same time, immediately, and uh, it helped to organize demonstrations. It's interesting because a lot of the activists of the 60s became, I mean, they were famous and that's definitely missing from, I think, activism these days. There's not as many. There is no Abby Hoffman or Martin Luther King even. It's it's become more, at least with like a, the Occupy, they've become a lot more secretive or that anonymous group, which... Well, it's not that it was... It, it, I think the difference was that um, um, the Yippies were a myth, uh, they, you know, we gave a name to a phenomenon that already existed, which was a, a kind of amalgamation of stoned hippies and straight political activists. And they began, uh, and, and uh, so that was a phenomenon that already existed, and hippies was the name to give it, uh, just so the press could have a who for the who, what, when, why, and where. And um, whereas the Occupy movement, uh, uh, we started as the Yippie started as a myth and became a reality. Um, the Occupy movement started as uh, a movement with with lots of people in it and uh, didn't need and they and they became a, a myth in the sense that uh, a, a living myth. And the thing was that um, they didn't have to do the kind of stunts that we did to get attention because their numbers and their mere presence uh, and their activities were um, provided the media something. And so, um, you know, and they got, um, you know, police infiltration. And uh, I mean, that was another comparison. But um, these are people who, uh, you know, were, uh, whereas the... Yippies were essentially countercultural and and made the connection between the right to smoke pot and the uh, inhumane injustice of uh, the war. And um, now uh, smoking pot is taken for granted as as a, a freedom. 
and um, as as indicated by the two states uh, that uh, got um, legalized uh, recreational smoking, uh, not just medical marijuana. So uh, you know it, it it is all evolution, but the dinosaurs. Uh, wanted to uh, stay too, and I think of the um, two-party system in America as uh, the dinosaur follies. Do you do you uh, approve of Obama and his administration, or do you does that that? Because uh, I I saw some clip of you talking about drone attacks, which of course could have been during the Bush years, but uh, I just wondered if because it seems to me a lot of Obama's. Uh, negative points don't get into the press as much as they should, like the drone attacks and some of the... Oh, I, I think they are. You know, I, I, I write letters to the editor occasionally, and often they don't get printed, but I, I did one recently saying that um, it was to the L.A. Times that there was a... Um, when when the massacre in Newtown occurred, and my letters stated that... Uh, Obama wept for those 20 children um, who got killed, but uh, he didn't weep for the 178 children that had been killed uh, by uh, drones in Yemen and Pakistan. So, uh, you know, there are many negative things about him. You know, the fact that uh, he um, didn't speak out about marijuana, um, even though he was uh, a smoker when he was young. And and a reporter asked him about, uh, you know, and said, well, do you, did you inhale? And Obama made the point. He said, well, yeah, that was the purpose of it. <laughs> but, you know, if he had gotten busted uh, and, uh, and uh, had a, uh, even whether or not he had to uh, spend time in prison... Uh, he wouldn't have uh, become a uh, well. He wouldn't have been uh, an author of best-selling books. Uh, he wouldn't have uh, been elected president. You know, uh, so it was a kind of hypocrisy on his part. But he wanted to get elected, and uh, I, I think he'll be perhaps. This may just be wishful, uh, wishful, wishful thinking, but uh, I think he's going to be a little bit more outspoken in the second term uh, because he doesn't have to worry about whether he'll be reelected anymore. I, I, I hope he is. I, I know that the drone attacks have definitely gone up already within this year, and that is alarming to me. Uh, I would like to see him come... Uh, through with his because he said he was going to pass legislation to sort of defend whistleblowers, but he's also hasn't done much to help uh, some of the whistleblowers like Julian Assange and uh, uh, Bradley Manning, which is really upsetting to me. I mean, I think what Bradley Manning did was heroic and up there with with what Mr. Ellsberg did back in the seventies. Oh, I I agree. I agree. Uh, uh, and with all of uh, the disappointments I have about Obama, um, he's still um, better than the, peop- the, the, the uh, candidates that, that he ran against. And, uh, you know, if you think about how horrible it would be now if it was Mitt Romney who was inaugurated, uh, it would be a nightmare. I'd still be in bed uh, with oh, my blankets over my head. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah, and and uh, they probably t- uh, would have sold the blankets to you. <laughs> I uh, yeah, I was. It's interesting because in your book, I was there was I was reading a quote about uh, you were talking about fear of how fear in society uh, it, it doesn't is doesn't help humor, and I couldn't help but thinking about uh, there was so much fear back in the sixties, and there's so much fear these days. And has that just always been the prevailing element of our government that they just got to keep cramming fear down our throat, or was it a different kind of fear in the '60s? Well, you know, Fidel Castro said, uh, "We shall not die of fear; we shall die laughing." Um, and it's, 
I I I think that um, you know irreverence um, increases. I think uh, the more repression there is, and the irreverence is necessary in order to point out uh, the hypocrisy and the contradictions of those individuals and and organizations that are um, responsible for the repression. And um, so I think, uh, um, you know, it's, it's, I think humor has always been uh, a weapon, as Mark Twain called it, and a subversive uh, act. It's the most subversive of all, because if you can, uh, because when you make people laugh, uh, it's like an antidote to fear. Yeah, and you, I just, I was really struck with the uh, the moment in your uh, autobiography when you discovered the power of laughter when you were, were you six years old and performing at Carnegie Hall? It's such an amazing story. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, but, but what happened there, I, you know, I, um, I, I scratched my leg uh, because it itched not to make the audience laugh. Uh, <laughs> But the fact that they laughed, um, uh, it was like, uh, uh, it was just a sound of people uh, enjoying themselves and, uh, and, and hearing a whole audience do that, not just individuals in your family. Um, it, um, I had, and that's why I quit playing the violin. I, I had a technique for it, but I had a passion for making people laugh. Did did you ever and it do you, did you just stop and never pick it up again and well I I, I stopped when my, uh, I uh, I drove my violin teacher crazy and went and he died <laughs> and and then and then I put I put the violin in the closet and when I started doing comedy I used it as a prop but uh, then I I dropped that too um, and then maybe forty years later I was at a dinner party given by. Uh, Tom Laughlin, who played Billy Jack in those in the movie series uh, of this heroic figure, and um, and at that dinner party, he was a huge enthusiast. Uh, he and his wife Dolores Taylor they uh, collected all kinds of things owned by Thomas Jefferson: furniture, uh, the dishes we were eating out of, the recipes, and uh, and. Uh, he knew that I played the violin as a kid, and he asked if I would uh, play something for them. And I couldn't resist uh, playing uh, Thomas Jefferson's violin that he had handled, actually. And um, But by that time, it was so many decades after uh, I was a child prodigy that the only thing I felt that I uh, could play without messing up was Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Star. <laughs> But when I did it, I, I said uh, I'd like to dedicate this to Thomas Jefferson's fans. I'm sorry, to Thomas Jefferson's slaves. And and there was a kind of little awkward uh, laughter response to that. <laughs> did and to sort of go back to uh, the the Lenny Bruce thing, there was something. Are you familiar with who Del Close is? I'm sure you know who Del Close is, right? Oh, Del Close was a good friend, yes. Oh, was he a good friend of yours? Cause I met him in, in New York. Uh, we were sitting on stools next to each other in a, a little Italian restaurant uh, on the Lower East Side, and he had a Stanislavski book, in his, uh, the acting teacher, um, in his pocket. And so we got into a conversation about that, and uh, um, at one point he invited me to his apartment, and there was... Uh, his bathtub was filled with books, and I told him that um, he might he might have smelled funny, but he was well read, <laughs> and and that was that was a, a kind of moment when we bonded. That's how I, I studied with him in Chicago, uh, and uh, later later got to work with him on some things. And there's there was because unless I'm crazy, I th I know you were with. Uh, with Lenny when he fell off the... I don't know if he fell off the balcony or if he jumped off the balcony when he when he was tripping and broke his legs. Oh, I, w I wasn't there. Uh, I, I heard about it. Oh, uh, I thought... I must have misread it. Because I, I always thought... 
uh, Dell said that he was there, and I in your book I didn't see that his his name mentioned. And I was just wondering if I had that wrong. Because um, Dell no. No, uh, Wavy Gravy, uh, who was a friend of Dell, they had been roommates at one point, uh, and uh, Wavy liked to distribute various drugs, and he left, he went to Lenny's uh, hotel room and uh, left a, uh, uh, Lenny's friend, uh, Eric Miller, uh, was there, and uh, and so Lenny just, uh, uh, Wavy just left uh, some LSD and some uh, DMT there, and uh, Lenny tried them both, and he was standing on the windowsill and uh, lost his balance and, ju- and just uh, went through the window. And, and, uh, and, and that's how it happened. Uh, and, uh, you know, he, he, when I saw him the next time, he w- his legs were in cast, and he was wearing, in, uh, wearing uh, uh, walking with crutches. So uh, that was just a um, um, a um, it, w- it was it was not something that he had on his to do list. <laughs> Did do you still? Because uh, I know uh, you've sort of studied and written a lot about people uh, and their LSD trips and whatnot. Do you do you still believe that that is an important? experience to have uh well it, you know it was um I, I i think it's seen as something in the past you know the lsd was uh, uh it may still go around but i think that that was kind of replaced by ecstasy and i'm not sure what ecstasy has been replaced by but um there uh at the time it it's uh, lsd served as a um a, a vehicle uh, for altering one's consciousness, and uh, and it was it was illegal. Uh, it, it was it was legal until October 1966 when it became illegal. And at that time, uh, a bunch of young people stood around in uh, uh, Golden Gate Park in San Francisco, um, waiting till 2 p.m. when it would go into into uh, the law would become um, uh, an actual thing instead of a threat. And at 2 p.m. exactly, the police were around there, but they couldn't bust anybody for possession uh, because it was still legal. At 2 p.m., everybody swallowed their tablet uh, of LSD simultaneously, and uh, the cops couldn't bust them. For, uh, you know, internal possession was not against the law. Um, so uh so that was the start of it and and people saw it as it was a political thing then um, you know um w- when i interviewed ken kesey uh he was very much against abortion and a couple of years later he changed his mind and he's and his point was that uh he didn't want the government uh, inside his mind uh because his mind was being altered um by uh, uh, psychedelics, and he felt that women um, should have uh, uh, should not have the government uh, invading their bodies, and and uh, so uh, you know that was being open-minded, not not flip-flopping like politicians do. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I, I, I mean, I personally uh, feel like I, I did my share of acid in my twenties and. I surely feel like a better person for it. <laughs> I just oh yeah, no people were able to uh, uh, to kind of uh, get a sense of an alternative community, but not just as an abstract concept, but uh, they actually uh, try in communes and other forms of community. Uh, they actually lived their alternative. It wasn't just a, a fantasy, right? And uh, I, I, there was a there was a couple of things I just wanted to ask you on a totally selfish, uh, my own curiosity and things I've heard about. Well, it's also in the book, but uh, tripping with Groucho Marx, who is one of my idols, and I remember the first time I read it years ago, I was like, 
I almost couldn't believe Groucho Marx would be interested in taking LSD. It was kind of, it was like, I was like, is this one of Krasner's uh, satires? Do I believe this or is, did this happen? Oh, well, no, he, he, was, he was in a movie called uh, Skidoo, and, uh, which was directed by Otto Preminger. And it was about uh, uh, a mafia chieftain named God um, and uh, who was played by Groucho, and there was, uh, I hear, a siren. <laughs> That's my neighborhood. You were, <laughs> right. You were concerned about the leaf blowers. <laughs> but anyway, um, there, um, uh, I had seen a letter of his uh, where he said he was curious about LSD, and now that he was in a movie where it was in effect pro LSD. It was uh, there was a character who uh, was a hippie who was in prison, and his girlfriend sent him a letter that had been dipped in liquid LSD, and uh, he put it in the water supply system of the prison. And um, you know, there were had uh, everybody, the guards and the prisoners alike, uh, were walking around tripping, and uh, you know, it would be kind of uh, uh, simplistic in a way. So one big prisoner said, I don't feel like I have to rape anybody anymore. Uh, you know, but it was, but nevertheless, it was, it was a positive approach to acid. And uh, Groucho felt, um, he was a reader of The Realist and, uh, and gave a blurb uh, for one of my books to the, to the editor. And he, um, he was, he, he felt responsible to uh, his fans uh, uh, because he was, in effect, um, being pro-acid. Uh, and so um, he, uh, I had lunch with him and, uh, when, when I went to L.A., and he uh, asked if I knew where he could get uh, LSD that, was, uh, you know, that didn't have arsenic in it, that was, that was good stuff. And and I said I could, and and he invited me to join him on the trip, and I did not play hard to get, and uh, he was um, um, he was kind of charming, and uh, um, I remember one one thing he said was he stopped uh, he went in to urinate, and he came back and he said, you know the whole human body is a miracle, you know and and. Um, it was just uh, a kind of uh, surrealistic experience. That's uh, incredible. What do, what do you read? Still, a lot of like alternative periodicals. Or, or what I'm really interested in is like, where do you go to seek your information these days? Um, well, you know. Uh, um, I still read newspapers and and scan magazines and get a lot from uh, you know Salon.com, Alternet, Huffington Post, uh, uh, Boing Boing. There are a lot of uh, lots of information and opinions uh, that are overwhelming because I get behind, I'm 400 emails behind now because I was working on a project. So I have to uh, I have to lose a lot of uh, you know I can't be uh, rigid and say I have to read everyone I just don't have time but uh, uh, I, I, I the, the alternative weeklies now uh, the papers are uh, kind of um, uh, you know uh, with with a lot of classified ad, want ads and a lot of uh, reviews of culture, local culture, but they still publish stuff that the mainstream press doesn't. Uh, but there aren't as many around. They were flourishing uh, uh, during the 60s and 70s. Yeah, but, you know, but, but, but the uh, online uh, periodicals are the uh, equivalent of what, you, you know, the, the underground press um, started because uh, there was such a difference uh, between what people experienced on the street and and how the mainstream publications uh, uh, covered those events, and so it, it uh, so then when people would move to another city, they would still want to get the San Francisco 
uh, Bay Guardian or the uh, uh, the Berkeley Bar or the L.A. Free Press uh, because it was it was like uh, uh, the the uh, voice of their generation. Uh, yeah, that's yeah. There's so many period. I mean, it's hard to uh, keep up with as much in- online stuff as there is. And uh, I also, I was when you said you had 400 emails that you're behind on. I just wanted to thank you. I'm very flattered that you got to mine. <laughs> uh, I feel quite lucky and honored. Oh well, I'm just stalling. <laughs> <laughs> I also I wanted to ask you because you. It's interesting. You've written blurbs for two books. One that I've already uh, people I've interviewed, uh, uh, Shane and Amy Bugby's book about their uh, year long road trip, which uh, oh right, yeah, yeah. That's uh, which I thought was, I, I thought that was such a great, and I'm a huge fan of Studs Terkel, and I just thought that was such a, a great thing that people that they went out there and got such the vibe of what's going on in this country. You don't. It made it really woke me up a lot because I we're so separated. I think but our media is like ah they're this way and the left is this way and it's like I was like oh we all basically want the same things. Like I I felt a little foolish and judgmental after I read that book, but my eyes opened. Oh well, that's that's why I I, I said it was a it was bittersweet because he examined all of the struggles uh, uh, that people were doing try, you know to try and uh, get a compassionate culture and then uh it led into how people were doing things to help bring that into focus so um yeah that was just uh, recently done yeah it's and a, it, oh i'm sorry i didn't mean to, it's a, just a pretty amazing book what was the other one? Oh, peter uh, uh too much to dream by peter uh beber gull i can't i'm not sure if i pronounce his last name about he was a dungeons and dragons guy and did a lot of acid so Oh yeah, yeah. In fact, uh it was it was I hadn't expected anything out of that, but uh w- when I gave the blurb to that book, I I asked him who uh, which editor at his publisher I should contact. And uh, it turned out to be Soft Skull Press, which published the uh the new edition of the uh autobiography and also published a new edition up- updated and expanded of uh, a collection I had uh, edited called Pot Stories for the Soul. Uh, so, so those two books, uh, uh, I had a hard time finding a publisher for them. And then, and then, uh, his editor said that she, when she took the job, she wanted to have a nice book about pot. And so, uh, uh, she immediately signed me up for those two books. So that was uh, like a nice byproduct of doing the blurb. Are you are you working on any books now, or anything? Is there anything coming up in that regard? Uh, well, uh, a, no- a novel of, uh, uh, inspired by Lenny Bruce, and it's about a contemporary comedian like him. But that'll probably take me another year or two to complete. Uh, and um, uh, so, so that's my, ma- my as Ken Kesey called it, my current obsession. <laughs> uh, well, I I, I want to thank you for your time, uh, Mr. Krasner. It, it was I felt very honored and lucky to have uh, gotten to speak with you today. Well, I appreciate it, Matt, and uh, there were good, stimulating questions. So uh, it was a nice exchange. Well, thank you. For, and and your website again is uh, just I want to make sure we plug everything because your books are available at, at paulkrasner dot com. Uh, yeah, not only books, but there's also the uh, uh, Disneyland Memorial Orgy poster, uh, which was originally published in black and white uh, in 67, but uh, in 2005, the, uh, a, a former employee of the Disney company, who prefers to remain anonymous, uh, colored it digitally in authentic Disney colors. So uh, and and uh, your listeners can 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 see that uh, image on on the uh, website. Is uh, is fuck communism on there as well? Uh, no, I didn't do that. That that you know, um, I think people without wouldn't wouldn't get the irony of it. Uh, you know, they would say, yeah, fuck communism. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we're, I just... we're, at, 
whereas the um, um, when it was published first in 1964, uh, the conservatives who were so uh, you know fanatical about anti-communism, but they were also prudes and couldn't say the word fuck, so they were torn between uh, their um, prudishness and uh, their um, anti-communist aspects. So it was a nice little uh, bit of of of, uh, of a compromise for them to actually want the poster. And there's so many uh, great uh, stories like that in your book, and which I don't want to keep talking about because I, I after rereading the book before we talked, I just, I it's. And now I'm going to have to get the, the new edition because it's, it's such a, it's just, ins, it's inspiring also because it makes you want to do more. It made me want to uh, create more as well as be active more, which is the, and your book also made me want to smoke more pot <laughs> and, uh-huh. and, uh, well, you, and trip again. <laughs> that's, that's, that's nice feedback for any writer, so I appreciate it. And uh, it was interesting because you were talking about, uh, and I, I meant to bring this up earlier, but are you, because you were talking about grand juries and uh, the kind of the uh, fuck communist point br- reminded me, are you aware of these these grand jury situations going around on, up and down the uh, West Coast with uh, environmental and animal rights activists? It's uh, Yeah, they're increasing. They're increasing. And they, have, look, and they have government... Uh, um, Spy infiltration of these groups because they think you know that that the environment the environmentalists are uh, a special interest group you know like saving the earth or or contributing to information about uh, fracking and things like that uh, uh, you know it's it's not what is usually thought of as a special interest it's it's a matter of uh, survival and and respect for the earth. Yeah, it's amazing. These kids are these. It, I think there's five different people in jail or facing jail time because they're being pulled into these grand juries via the FBI, and they're like twenty something. And they're I think they're you know they're being intimidated and hopefully like to to give names. It's sort of like a secret McCarthyism because it's like it's not getting a lot of as much press as it should be. But it's I mean these kids can't plead the fifth it's it's really outrageous and it's it's really alarming to me that that's going on quite frequently right now well you know it it's uh gives meaning to that phrase the devil never sleeps anyway um one of the things that where i get my news and information and inspiration from is rachel maddow who's going on now so uh i will let you get to it (laughs) okay okay Thank you very much for listening to Conversations with Matt Dwyer. If you enjoyed the show, please do me a huge favor and donate some money. Um, I I have to buy a lot of books and periodicals and craziness. Uh, I, I I food. I need food. I, I I spend a lot of time on this podcast. It's like a full time job, uh, if not more. And uh, so I, I I do my best to give you a good show and sacrifice a lot of my my own life. But uh, please, 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 please uh, donate. If you can't afford to donate, I understand. Tough times. Uh, you can go through my web link there on my page. There's an Amazon uh, link at my feralaudio.com page, and you could purchase bullshit there that you need in life, and I get a kickback of that. Also, follow me on Twitter, Matt underscore DeWire at twitter.com. Uh, I have two Tumblr pages, superdupermattdewire.tumblr.com and conversations with Matt Dwyer. .tumblr.com, which is that's all just solely about the show. Uh, thank you very much for listening. God bless you. That's the God of your choice. I'm not going to impose anything on you. Power to the people, everybody.
the United States government, it is the mission of the National Security Agency to assess and flag citizens of the country who may present a threat to its security. The NSA has clearance to wiretap by any means necessary. Tapped. Incidental recordings of private conversations from the files of the NSA. Now on feralaudio.com.